0: Good morning, everybody. So uh, over the course of the past several months, because of the quarantine, I've had a chance to do a fair amount of reading. Uh, And so last week, I was reading a letter that I got from uh, the producer of a Christian audio journal I listened to. It wasn't a letter just for me. It was sent out to all the subscribers of the, the Mars Hill Audio Journal. And he was addressing the question of the events that have been happening in our nation concerning race in particular over the course of the past several months, and why at the journal they don't address it as much as maybe uh, others would want them to. And he was doing his best to sort of give his explanation, particularly because quite often, as if you know anything about the journal, he believes that the roots run much deeper. Until we can have... Uh, discussion about the deeper issues in our nation that are more theological or philosophical, it's very difficult to really have an adequate discussion about the specific issues at hand. And He brought up a, a, a term that I never really heard of before that really gave me a lot of pause to think. And comparing the reality of systemic racism, he said before we can really address that, We've got to look at the reality of systemic nihilism. Systemic nihilism. Now, as words, one we've probably heard before, from the Latin word "nihil" or "nihil," which means nothing or zero. We're not getting into all kinds of complicated explanations of nihilism as a philosophical system. It basically, means that there's really no deeper meaning to the world or creation. What you see is what you get. There's no purpose. There's no metaphysical reality. It's a lot of what I've talked about over the course of the past several weeks and sort of the ideological atheism that our nation and our world faces. And so as a result, if you don't believe there's anything beyond this world, there's no really deeper meaning, there's nothing after this world, there's no afterlife, Well, you are given way to a number of different things. The exaltation of the will, as Friedrich Nietzsche did, uh, a radical emotionalism, or even a cynicism, a despair and a lack of hope. And particularly in trying times where there's so much chaos, we have a tendency, if we live in a nihilistic world and a nihilistic paradigm governs our way of thinking, we are going to be tempted to despair, to give up hope, to think that everything is lost. But the truth is that Christians and Catholics cannot accept this. We cannot accept a systemic nihilism. We cannot accept a hopelessness, particularly if we are going to address the deeper issues that our nation and world faces. We believe there's meaning in the world. We believe That we should hope. We should have great hope for the power of God in our existence. And all the readings today sort of counteract the systemic nihilism that we as a nature and a culture face. The first, if you believe that there's no meaning, then you actually believe there's no truth, particularly there's no moral truth. What do we see in the first reading? God gives Solomon, per his request, a gift of wisdom to be able to make moral judgments between what is right and what is wrong in governing his people. Very contrary to the relativism or the lack of belief in any kind of moral certitude that we face as a culture today, Jesus gives parables about the kingdom of heaven, literally meaning The world beyond this world, the world that we all believe in, we all hope for, that we're all destined for. A world not just beyond, but above. That heaven actually breaks into our existence. We believe that there is a spiritual, supernatural realm that we do, can, and ought to participate in. And because of that, no matter how bad things seem to be in our life today, we don't lose that gift of hope because of our belief in the kingdom of heaven. It's easy to forget in a very secularistic and very nihilistic world so filled with tension and chaos. But also, and this is sort of the real crux of my argument today, Jesus talks about the treasure, the treasure that one finds and gives up everything that he or she has in order to pursue it, the pearl of great price, that you're willing to sell all that you own In order to purchase it. This is the perfect example of meaning, of value. You're not going to sell everything that you have for this pearl, this treasure, unless you think it means something. Unless you think there's a value to it that is inherent enough for you to give up all that you own. And so we believe in this we believe that there is a pearl of great price. We believe there's meaning in the world. And we believe that we can hope and strive for it. But here's the key, though. What is the pearl of great price? Yes, it's the kingdom of heaven. But just like of any of Jesus' parables, there are different layers. If We really understand what Jesus is talking about. We're not going to be asking what is the pearl of great price, but who is the pearl of great price? Pope Benedict and writing in his Jesus of Nazareth book, the first volume, talks about how the Sabbath, the kingdom of heaven, the temple, all of these different terms actually apply to Jesus. So Jesus is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is the pearl of great price that we should be striving for. Not Jesus is an abstract construct, not Jesus is just words on a page but Jesus as a real person, living, risen from the dead. And this, my friends, is the radical proposition of Christianity. It's something that I've been talking about a fair bit in my daily homilies lately. Jesus claims to be the way, the truth, and the life. I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No other prophet or major religious figure has ever said that. None of them have said it. They've come to say, I've come to show you the way to heaven. I've come to show you the truth. I've come to show you the things that you must do in order to inherit life. But Jesus, in this radical claim, said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. If you want to get to heaven, if you want to have life, if you want to know truth, you've got to come through me because I am the son of God. What a radical claim. To say, I'm the pearl of grace price. you got to drop everything to come follow me. That is something that we've never seen or never heard in any other religious tradition. So our faith, unlike other faiths that may be based off of certain moral claims, the Christian faith is based off of the person of Jesus Christ. Everything passes through him. His body, his blood, his soul and divinity, his person. And this is a radical claim, but Jesus verified it. He backed it up. He cashed that check that he said with his mouth when he rose from the dead. You arrive, You die and you come back from the dead never to die again. And you start walking through walls and you start appearing to people as you want to appear to them. Then guess what? You're God. You're God. And whatever he said, we are called to believe. So Jesus, the person of Jesus, the Son of God become man, is meaning, is our source of hope. St. Paul, if you read all of his writings, indeed he talks about certain teachings, but he followed Jesus who he encountered on the way to Damascus. Life for him was Christ. Life for him wasn't Christ's teaching, as important as that is, but he knew Jesus. He was the one that he followed. And so in looking at the early church and the apostles, it's all the same. It wasn't just Jesus as a moral teacher, but it was Jesus as the Son of God. They knew and followed him as a person. And this, though, is the challenge. That's some radical talk. How can you say that you know Jesus? How can we encounter him as we encounter other people? He's in heaven. We can't talk to him. We don't hear his voice. How do we come to know Jesus? And so my time as a priest now, 20 years, I've been looking at this gospel. And I've seen a lot of people give up everything they have to pursue that pearl of great price who is Jesus Christ. Some of them indeed in marriage, some as missionaries, many as religious and priests, some even as, as, as hermits or as cloistered religious sisters. How do they come to know Jesus? What do they all share in common? Because we should want to have that same thing if we want to truly come to know who jesus is not just about jesus but to really know him and be willing to pursue him they all have one thing in common and that one thing is that they pray they really pray now they don't just say prayers many of us say prayers and there's nothing wrong with that but simply reciting prayers is not actually praying it's not encountering Jesus in a radical way. Not a bad thing, but there's got to be something deeper. Nor, when they do pray, if it's more than the same prayers, are their prayers establishing a transactional relationship with Jesus. Jesus, I need these things. Jesus, I want you to give me these things. Jesus, I want you to help me with this. These petitionary prayers are all great, but what ends up happening, or the risk of what ends up happening, is that when we say that, we expect Jesus to give back to us. In the same way, if I go to McDonald's and I order a breakfast meal, I expect something back. Jesus does not work at McDonald's. Jesus is not some person that works at a store where our sort of consumeristic mentality means that if I behave and I say my prayer is right, I'm going to get something back. No, that's not how it works. True prayer is something much deeper. True prayer is being with Jesus, who's your friend, who's saying, Lord, I'm coming just to spend time with you. I don't expect anything out of this. I don't expect to feel anything. But I know you delight in me being here. And you will fill me up even though I don't know it. You're going to reveal yourself to me. I'll come to know you. This is how it happens every single time. The people that I'm talking about who've come to know Jesus is the pearl of great price haven't figured it out in their head. Haven't sort of prayed enough that all of a sudden, oh, Jesus revealed himself like it's some sort of a genie with a lamp. But they put themselves there present, Lord, I am here because I know you want to be with me. No, I'm not going to figure it out. But gradually, the Lord reveals himself to them. Their minds change, their hearts change, and they want to pursue Jesus in the gift of faith. Now, for these individuals, for St. Paul and the apostles and the saints and the people that I know, the people that you know, because you know people like this, doesn't mean that once they pursue that pearl of great price, once they give up everything, that all of a sudden life becomes easy. Oh, I got Jesus, life's easy. Jesus is gonna give me all the blessings. He's gonna make things great. No, not at all. Struggles and trials still persist. In fact, they probably get worse. There's also, we've fallen into this trap, or we risk falling into this trap as Christians, that if we follow Jesus and we pray and we do our duties, that basically everything's gonna be pretty easy for us. Jesus is gonna make sure that we have the good life, that we have everything that we want, that we're happy all the time. But that's not real. Because what happens is, is trials come, struggles happen, and then we sort of get upset. Why is the Lord letting this happen to me? I'm inconvenienced by this. It's like going to the, to, the, the, to the store, going to get a sandwich, and the one that you wanted is out because they're out of meatballs. And you're upset, like somehow they did something against you that you deserve this meatball sandwich. No, we don't. Jesus promised the cross. He promised many blessings. He promised grace too. But if you look at the apostles, if you look at Paul... They had a lot of crosses to face, but they didn't complain about them. They rejoiced in them because they saw it as a share in the cross of Jesus. They realized that Jesus went through it, and they're going to go through it. But more importantly, they realized there was no reason to despair, no reason to fall into nihilism, no reason to question if God exists because things didn't go right in their lives or in the world because they knew Jesus was accompanying them. And this is so crucial. If you don't really know Jesus, and if you're not connected to him, it's going to be hard that when the trials come to know that he's there by your side. To know that nothing is totally meaningless or totally negative. One of the great theologians of the 20th century said this about it. In Christ, the love of God has succeeded in transforming the loveless of death, the loneliness of death and of the interrupted conversation between God and man in a situation of companionship and suffering Unquote. that when we suffer, when there are trials, when things don't go our way, when we're tempted to give up hope, when we're tempted to believe that nothing matters, when we're tempted to believe that God doesn't exist, we know that Jesus is there with us he could have chosen to get rid of it, but he didn't He chose and said to accompany us into the darkness. And so once we experience that, then we know what hope is because we know Jesus. And as a result, we can walk into the world where it seems that the lights are out, where it seems that people have lost hope, when it doesn't make sense, when others are trapped in nihilism and despair. And because we even though we may be suffering at times, have that hope, have not fallen into the trap, we can bring Jesus to them in our lives. The Lord can love them through us and that we, as Jesus does to us, we can lovingly accompany them and say, it's going to be all right. I'm going to walk with you even though it seems like it's dark and it doesn't make sense. Now, they may reject that accompaniment. They're free to do that. You can't force anybody to receive love. But our goal, the goal of the saints, is to walk with those in darkness. recently reading a book on atheism, and one of the authors making this radical claim that atheism today is not primarily intellectual, but instead it's emotional. That people quit believing in God, not because of some great philosophical argument, although there are some who are like that, but instead it's driven by emotions emotions and pain and hurt. And so if we're going to accomplish anything by overcoming the systemic nihilism, we need to know our philosophy. We need to be able to talk about things, but that's not going to really do much to change things because people don't reason into positions much these days anymore. But if we love them, if we accompany them, if we pray for them, if we bring them Jesus, then we can show them that loving presence that should help them, God willing, overcome the nihilism, overcome the despair, and come to hope. Not all, but many of the people that are struggling with this today, who adhere to the systemic nihilism, who want to overthrow everything, who want to have this radical change that doesn't have God at the center, but instead has this meaningless core, of people who are very, very broken. Who are looking for meaning, who are looking for love. And it's our goal, besides giving them and leading them the truth, to do our best from our relationship with Jesus, who is the pearl of great price. Walk with him, to accompany them, to bring them Christ, to bring them hope. Amen.